What's the best communication advice you've received? This advice came from my mother. It happens to be seven words long, so I actually fit my okay. own criteria. <laughs> uh, I know she didn't create it, but uh, the advice is simple. Tell them. Team. Matt Abrahams is an incredible expert on communications, and it's such a treat to have him on Power Hour with us today. So Matt has taught how to communicate well at Stanford for over 15 years. He's won numerous teaching awards for it. He also published a book on how to overcome our fear of public speaking. It's called Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. He's the host of Stanford GSB Podcast, which also happens to be one of Spotify's top podcasts called Think Fast, Talk Smart. And today with him, we learn concretely how to overcome your fear of public speaking, how to speak strategically, to achieve the goal you have in mind. And if you're in tech and affected by the layoffs, how to interview well, and if you're unfortunately a manager tasked with laying folks off, how to do that in a respectful way. So without further ado, guys, here's Matt Abrahams. Hi, Matt. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm wonderful. Good. It's Thank such you for a your treat. flexibility around the, the timing of all of this. Of course. It's such a treat to have you on. So thank you for yes. coming on. You're such an expert in communication. <laughs> I myself was a little nervous before this one. <laughs> no reason to be nervous. No reason it's like, to I be hope nervous. I communicate well, but I know that by the end, I will have all the tips You're and I'll be much better. Yeah. Set the bar low. <laughs> Amazing. So speaking of all the tips and you being an expert, I was thinking we'd dive right in because I think we've got a wealth of knowledge to cover. Does that work That's for right. you? Yeah. Amazing. So Matt, in your book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, you cover 50 actionable tips for millions who suffer from anxiety in public speaking settings. I feel like this has to be almost everyone who mm -hmm. suffers from this in public speaking. So I'd love to get into those with you. But before we do that, I want to cover some helpful groundwork. I am an avid listener of your GSB podcast, Think Fast, Talk Smart, mm -hmm. during which you've talked to several experts about what physically happens in anxiety. And some of those include Kelly McGonigal and Andrew Huberman and I'd love to have us just cover that so that we're all on the same page with what's happening in our bodies when we feel this way. Yeah. So first and foremost, thank you for having me here. I am thoroughly excited to chat with you. And you're right. The anxiety that we all feel around speaking in, in front of others can be very, very challenging. Uh, research suggests 75% of people have this fear. Uh, and I think the other 25% are lying. I think it is something that is ubiquitous. <laughs> and and uh, those of us who study it like I do, uh, believe it's built into our biology. So speaking of the biology, uh, our body sees speaking in front of others in high stakes situations as a threat. And it responds in kind by invoking the fight or flight response. So as soon as you detect this threat, your body releases a cascade of neurohormones designed to protect us. The first thing that happens is our heart beats faster. The idea is we want to oxygenate our bodies so we have the ability to move quickly if we need to. So what do we do? Uh, the heart beats faster in order to get the oxygen into that blood, we breathe more shallow. And that shallow breathing can cause us to speak fast. Uh, for many of us, our voice changes. It gets wispier and, and lighter in tone. And then uh, as part of that, uh, we are pumping more blood. Our body tenses up. So we've got more blood going through tighter tubes, 
which leads to an increase in blood pressure. And this makes people sweat and perspire and, and blush. And then finally, uh, along with all of this, your salivary glands shut down. Uh, your internal intestines are like, we're not going to be digesting food. So you might feel like you have to go to the bathroom. You, you get dry mouth. All of these are normal and natural symptoms that your biology is invoking to protect us. The problem is all of these things actually work against what we need in the moment of speaking. So that's a quick biology lesson of what's going on. And that's what I've learned in my research, but also in my interviews with the people you mentioned and others. It's really helpful to know that 75% and definitely more <laughs> are going through the same thing and yeah. we're not so unique, but it's a very natural response. So then how do we speak up without freaking out, Matt? <laughs> well, so I, I could go on for a long time. I wrote a whole book on it and I've spent a lot of my career focusing on it. Let me give you two general approaches. When it comes to okay. managing anxiety around speaking, we have to take a two-pronged approach. It's about managing symptoms and sources. So symptoms are the things that we physiologically experience when we get nervous. It's the rapid heart rate. It's the shakiness. It's the dry mouth. And then there are the sources of anxiety. These are the things that initiate and exacerbate the anxiety. And I can give you, if it would be helpful, some examples of how to address both of yes, those. Would that be useful? Okay. So when it comes to the symptoms, first and foremost, the best thing you can do is to take some slow, slow belly breaths. The kind you take mm -hmm. if you've ever done yoga or Tai Chi or Qigong, it's where you fill your lower abdomen by inhaling slowly, best through the nose to do that. The key to breathing is you want your exhale to be twice as long as your inhale. All of the goodness that happens with the relaxation response happens on the exhale. So the rule of thumb, or I like to say the rule of lung, is exhale twice <laughs> as slowly as you inhale. And you only have to do this two or three times to get the benefit. Now, because we're breathing lower and slower, our speaking rate will slow down. The wispiness of our voice will slow down. So that's a really good one. If you're like me and I perspire and blush when I get nervous, those are my big signs of anxiety. <laughs> Holding something cold in the palm of your hand will actually reduce your core body temperature. The palms of your hands are thermoregulators for your body, and it's a way of cooling yourself down. In fact, I bet you on a, on a cold morning have held warm tea or coffee and felt that it's yes. warmed you up. Uh, we're just doing the same thing in reverse. So those are a few examples, there are many more I could dive into, of ways to address the physiological symptoms that we have. But there's still those sources, the things that initiate and exacerbate, and there are many of these. The one I like to address first with most people is, what makes us very nervous is our fear of not achieving a goal that we have for ourselves. So when we communicate, we have goals. And if we get nervous about achieving those goals, it can really make our, our nervousness worse. So for example, the students I teach, they're nervous about not getting a good grade. The entrepreneurs I coach are afraid of not getting funding. All of these are fears of a potential negative future outcome. So the way to short circuit this is to not be in the future and worried about it, but to be in the present. So there are lots of things we can do to become present oriented. You might have tried techniques for mindfulness. Have you ever done mindfulness practices? Yeah. Yes. So, so that can really help. Uh, taking some deep breaths helps. Doing something physical like walking around the building or some jumping jacks. You know, uh, mm. actors before they go on stage or athletes before they do their sport, they'll do something physical to get themselves in their body and in the present moment. You can listen to a song or a playlist. We see many athletes do that. 
You can start at 100 and count backwards by some tough number like 17s. That gets us in the present moment. So when mm. it comes to managing anxiety, you have to deal with both symptoms and sources. And in so doing, you can put yourself on a path to feeling more comfortable and confident. I can totally see how that can lower our heart rate. Mm -hmm. I am also one who perspires, especially yes. in my palms. And yeah. I also run cold and I definitely do the hot tea yeah. to warm up. And this right. is a great tip for me to hold something cold in my arms. Then I love what you said about living in the present. I know that you are you're a big fan of movement. I know mm -hmm. that you do jujitsu. Mm -hmm. I personally like to work out in the morning because I feel like it really helps me be my best self, more, a more productive version of me. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's absolutely something I need to do before I am hoping to perform at my best. Mm -hmm. One other thing that comes to mind for me, Matt, I don't know if you've seen this across the people and folks that you teach is I notice that when we tend to care a lot about the outcome, we tense up and this makes us become maybe a worse version of ourselves, a less funny version, a less personable version. And that tends to detract from the outcomes we would like. For instance, with entrepreneurs that are going to fundraise tend to be so nervous that they're not showing their full charismatic selves and that might affect investors. Same in public speaking. I think an audience will tend to gravitate toward a more interesting, personable speaker than one who's very robotic. And so that's another way where I can see trying to calm down and just be present and be your full self is really helpful for me. A way that I like to do that is maybe call someone who's really close to me, uh -huh. who I enjoy talking to. Maybe it's my mom, obviously, Marchi and my husband, or a really good friend who gets me laughing and excited. And that tends to really bring out my best self in, before a public speaking event. Absolutely. And there's a lot of research to back that up. When we feel supported and cared for, we're able to relax. And as you said, bring our best self to what we do. And because we're so passionate, a great way to address the anxiety that can come from like, I really want to do this justice is to remind yourself that when you communicate, you're in service of your audience, you're there for them. Mm -hmm. And when you put that spotlight right. on helping others, rather than worrying about yourself communicating as effectively as you can, it can make a tremendous difference. So I totally get that. I get very passionate about talking about communication, but I remind myself that if I can help others get better in theirs, that's my real goal. And that takes the pressure off me doing it right or doing it the best I can. I just have to do it to help people. I love that so much. It's not about you. Get, get over yourself. It's about <laughs> the audience and what value you can provide to them. Yes. Okay. So recapping before a public speaking event, if you tend to run anxious or nervous, uh, calibrate your temperature, your body temperature, you can try and get some exercise, try and talk to folks that you know. Um, you're tackling both the symptoms and the root cause. Anything else you want folks to know about before they pick up your book? Everyone. So there, there's a whole piece of this that has to do with your content that you create. You know, if you feel mm -hmm. confident in your content, not just that you know it, but that it's structured well, that makes a big difference. So, so another aspect to this is that when you think about your content, it should obviously be relevant and valuable to your audience. But if you structure it, give it a map, for yourself. It helps you feel better. The biggest fear people report is that they're going to forget what they want to say. And it's hard mm. to get lost if you have a map. So if you have a structure or a structured approach to your content, and by structure, I mean a logical connection of points, not just a bullet point list or a, a series of slides, it can make a big difference. So that's the one thing I would add to the, the summary that you gave is thinking through that structure. And I have lots of ideas about what makes for good structure, but you should have a structured presentation for sure. 
I'd actually like you to share a little bit on that because it's yeah. so important. And I've heard a little bit on your podcast, yeah. you've you talked about starting from the end goal, speaking of value creation for your audience. What do you want? What's the one thing you want them to take away and working backward? Yes. And But how else can one think about the logical points of the structure of their content? Great. Well, you're a good student. I know you were a good student at the business school <laughs> and you're a good student of the podcast. Thank you uh, for listening and for, for bringing that up. So to my mind, all high stakes communication, I don't care if it's at work, in your personal life, must have a goal. And to me, a goal has three parts, information, emotion, and action. In other words, what do you want your audience to know, feel, and do? The knowing is the information. The feeling is the emotion you want people to have, excited, concerned, fear of missing out. And then the action, most communication, not all, but most communication is action-driven. So if you have a clear goal that's tailored to your audience, so if I, if I have the same content and go to a different audience, my goal might have to change. That goal then directs what you're going to say and perhaps what you're not going to say. So it helps you figure that out. And once you have that goal, you can then pick the best way to package or structure your information. So a structure is just a logical connection of ideas. There are many out there. I know many of your listeners are familiar with comparison, contrast, conclusion, or problem, solution, benefit. These are structures, ways of putting information together. I personally have a favorite structure, one that I talk a lot about, which is the what, so what, now what structure, where you start by talking about what it is you're discussing. The so what is why the information is important and relevant and valuable to your audience. And then the now what is what comes next. Is it that we have another meeting? Is it that you sign on the dotted line? Maybe it's I take your questions. But what, so what, now what I think is one of the easiest ways to package up your information. So it starts with knowing your audience. From there, you build a goal, no feel do, and then you determine the best roadmap or design for your message, and that's the structure that you use. Are there any presentations that you've seen throughout your years of experience in this that stick out as an example of something that was really great? I think you just said I'm old on. there, but no, no, I'll, no, no. I'll take it as being wise. No, <laughs> no. No. Uh, I, there, uh, there are countless speeches that I find incredibly valuable. Let me share one that I think most of your listeners uh, know of. You know, Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream yes. speech is an amazing speech for so many reasons, not just for the values it's aspiring to and, and the movement that it furthered. Uh, but in, from a structural audience focused point of view, it's it's a piece of art. I mean, it's it's very skillfully done um, at its core, although it's never called out as this. It is a problem, solution, benefit oration. Uh, he establishes the problem of racial injustice. He talks about some ways in which uh, it could be bettered and what the light, what things might be like if his ideas come to pass. Uh, so it, it's a great example of using a structure targeted to an appropriate audience, but it is eloquently delivered and it is embellished with rhetorical devices like alliteration and anaphora and um, uh, analogy and comparison. So the, it, it, to me, is an epitome of an excellent speech. Now, most people listening are not in a position to give speeches of that type, but you can certainly leverage some of the ideas and concepts that went into crafting that speech. I love that speech so much. What a masterpiece. Matt would love to talk about speaking in the moment as we are doing right now on this podcast. <laughs> we are live and we are working off the cuff answers, etc. What are your tips for, for instance, answering questions off the cuff and handling faux pas off the cuff? Sure. 
So I have dedicated the last several years of my academic focus and, and coaching work to really helping with what I call spontaneous speaking, speaking in the moment. Because if you think about it, as you alluded to, much of our communication, if not the vast majority, is spontaneous. You know, we didn't wake up this morning and open up the PowerPoint deck <laughs> for our day, right? It, it just unfolds. And yet we don't learn how to manage a lot of these situations. You brought two up, but there are many others. There's Q&A, there's fixing a, a faux pas, there's apologizing in the moment, there's take in introducing somebody when you're asked to introduce them, there's giving feedback. A lot of our communication is spontaneous. And so the whole think fast, talk smart idea was based on a workshop I created at the business school. You, you very well might've gone through it when you were there to help students deal with cold calling. One of the biggest things that our amazingly bright and talented students at the Stanford Business School struggle with, and many, many people around the world struggle with, is cold calling. The professor says, what do you think? And you have to respond. Your boss says, give me your opinion, and you have to respond. Uh, so I designed a methodology, a process to help people. And so it, it boils down to what we just discussed, structure. How do you apply a structure in the moment but before you get to the actual deploying of the structure, you have to be in the right place to do it. So many of us actually get in our own way. We overjudge, we overthink, we overevaluate. So we have to start with by reframing the situation, changing our mindset, lowering our standards, and that can allow us to be free to do what's needed. In the moment, our brains are under a lot of cognitive load. There's a lot of pressure going on when I have to speak in the moment, answer your question, give you feedback. And so by giving myself permission just to do what needs to be done rather than doing it perfectly, takes a lot of that pressure away, reduces that cognitive load so I can then deploy a structure. So let me give you one example. Imagine uh, you and I are coming out of a meeting and you turn to me and you say, hey, Matt, what do you think that meeting went like? How do you think it went? Well, yeah. I need to respond quickly, but the first thing I have to do is try to suss out why did you ask? Did you ask because you really want to know about the meeting or do you feel like it didn't go so well and what you need in this moment is support? So I first have to figure out what's needed in this moment. And then I have to remind myself that you came to me asking for something of value. So I don't have to put pressure on myself to give you this great bit of feedback. You already think I have something of value to say. And then I use a structure and I love what, so what, now what for giving in the moment feedback. So I might say, you know, that I think the meeting went reasonably well, except that one part where you talked about the implementation plan, you spoke a little quickly and didn't give as much detail. And when you do that, so that was the what, and when you do that, it might make people feel that you're not as prepared or haven't thought it through as much. That's the so what. So next time when you talk about the implementation plan, I'd like for you to give more detail and slow down. That's the now what. So by leveraging that structure, getting my mindset right, reframing the situation, I can respond in the moment. And the same thing works with giving an apology, fixing a mistake you've made, or answering a question. I love the specificity of the feedback, which is always so yes. much more actionable because you can dive into the details of what you liked or what you didn't like. And then I also like what you mentioned about reframing, which is it's not about you. Mm -hmm. Think about why did this person ask you this question and how can you provide the most value to them? So that's fabulous to learn. Mm -hmm. And then, Matt, you teach a course on essentials of strategic communication mm -hmm. at Stanford Business School. And I'd love to talk about what are these essentials of strategic communication, as well as we both know there's a difference between doing that in the classroom as well as in the real world. And so how can we translate those into the real world? 
Yeah. So we've already talked about some of these foundational principles that we talk about in strategic communication. It really is all about your audience and understanding your audience, being very clear in the goal that you have in your communication. It's about crafting a message design that is really focused for your audience, Uh, message design. And then the one step we haven't really talked about is the delivery of that message. How does that message actually get out to people? How do you cascade a message through an organization, through a team, with an individual, and, and what's the coordination needed uh, there? So if you are going through some kind of organizational change, how do you frame that change for the different audiences you have internally and, and externally? How do you cascade the information out? How do the messages reinforce themselves? These are all the things that we think about when we talk about strategic communication. And then there's the, another form of delivery, which is your physical way of saying it. How do you as a leader or a participant in strategic communication deliver that information in a way that instills confidence and conveys the meaning and emotion that you need? So there are a whole bunch of factors that we talk about, some of which you and I have begun to discuss and, and others that, that factor in. But you're exactly right. I mean, these principles apply in the classroom, in the work world, in our personal lives as well. And I hope that my students leave my class feeling like they have a toolkit and have had a chance to practice some of these really important skills. I'd love to make it a more specific, potentially sure. with a real world example that many are facing today. We have these tech layoffs that are going yes, on. Yes, yes. If we talk through the case of a manager who needs to lay off mm. some of their workers, when we talk about delivery, what are the essentials there that you believe they should bring to the Yeah, table? so unfortunately, when I was an operator, I used to run learning and development groups for software companies and had some rather large organizations and, and large P&L responsibilities. And I've had to go through layoffs. And let me tell you, it is mm-hmm. the toughest thing I, I have ever done professionally. And, and it's up there with my personal chat challenges I've had as well. It's really hard. So first and foremost, as a manager, uh, I think being very uh, transparent is critical. I think having the facts and understanding as much as you can about the situation. uh, Sometimes these things can be done hastily or without uh, complete information available. So uh, you have to do your homework as a manager and you have to really think through how best to frame the information. While for many people, it is very uh, disappointing and upsetting to be laid off, uh, there are opportunities in that situation. And you as a manager have to decide based on what you know about the person you're speaking to about how best to not just give the information. Clearly, you have to say uh, very directly that that your job is no longer uh, here, but you could frame things about what, what comes next in terms of the package that's offered or guidance that's allowed. You personally can share your experience. Um, I I have a story myself of of a a very close colleague I had to let go uh, after being told I would not need to let her group go. Uh, It it later came to be that I did have to let that group go. Very upsetting. I actually left the company Mm -hmm. very shortly after doing that because I wasn't happy with how that all played out. Um, But part of the the process, very direct and blunt, I I said, you know, I had told you your job was safe and I am tremendously sorry that things changed and and you're in a situation where that's no longer true and you are being let go. But we then pivoted and I said, here are several of the uh, package components. And I know because you and I have worked closely together that you really have a passion towards, in her case, it was mentoring and mentoring uh, disadvantaged youth. And I said, you know, here are some resources that are available that you might be able to then pursue 
that. And I'd be, you know, and I, and I did stay in touch with her and she actually went and launched an amazing mentoring program in the Southeast of the United States and, and is doing really well. Now I'm not saying that, you know, it was good that she got laid off, but the strategic approach I took and she joined me in, which is critical. You, you want to invite that collaboration ended up, you know, year, a year or so later, she told me getting laid off was the best thing that ever happened to her. Now that is certainly not the case for everybody. I understand that. But I'm just saying that as a strategic communicator going into this situation, I want to be transparent. I want to be truthful. I want to be respectful. I want to acknowledge the emotion that's in the room. But if I know something about the person that can help them begin the next steps of their journey, then I might as well include that in that conversation. Letting people go is definitely one of the hardest things I've also had to do. And I think what you can do is treat that person with kindness and respect and also think about how can you continue to add value to them moving forward if that was a productive work relationship and you think that this is a great employee. How about on the flip side, folks that are now trying to get jobs yeah. and are talking to hiring managers and because so many have been laid off, they're trying to stand out in the crowd. What are strategic tips that they can employ with negotiations or talking to hiring managers? Yeah. So let me just talk about interviewing to start with. So okay. interviewing is actually a really important skill. And I have some specific advice. I think as you go into any interview, you should have two or three clear themes that you want to communicate. Maybe that it's I'm experienced. Maybe it's that uh, I'm a really good uh, problem solver, whatever those themes are. And then for each theme, you should come up with some support that you can bring to bear that reinforces that theme. So if I say I'm a good problem solver, I want to pull in support supporting my problem solving ability. And to my mind, there are three different types of support. There are examples. Those are anecdotes and stories you could tell. I could tell a time of a, when I helped solve a really important problem. There's data and statistics I can bring to bear that show the amount of money I saved or the efficiencies I brought as a result of my problem solving. And then there are third-party testimonials, somebody who's not me. Maybe I received an award. Maybe they're my manager or some senior leader commented on, on what I did. And you want to have a whole stockpile of those by mm -hmm. theme so that when you're in the interview, you can pull these examples out very quickly. It's like when you cook, it is much more efficient to follow a recipe if you have all of the ingredients prepared in advance. Everything's chopped, everything's laid out, you've got everything measured. So in the moment of putting the, the recipe together, assembling it, I just take from what I already have. The same is true right. with interviewing. Identify your themes, generate your support, and then you can practice. There are lists of interview questions that exist. You can talk to people who've recently interviewed for that company or for a position similar. Learn what the questions might be like and then practice assembling, creating those recipes to help you do better in the interview. On a similar note, mm -hmm. Matt, these days, one in four folks are working remotely mm -hmm. and we have much more collaboration than ever before, which means it's also much harder to stand out from the crowd than ever before. You have entrepreneurs, cold calling investors or partners or customers, and you have students reaching out to all sorts of folks. How can folks stand out from the crowd and be memorable? Yeah, that's a big challenge, right? I mean, our most precious commodity in the world today is attention and just getting people's right. attention. And then I think what's even more important than attention is what I call engagement, sustained yeah. attention. So what we know, and there's a wonderful book, Made to Stick. I think everybody that should anybody interested in improving communication should read Made to Stick. 
maybe Which my should be book. everyone. Right. Uh, but in that, <laughs> they talk about how do you make your ideas stick? How do you make yourself stand out? And, and a lot of it has to do with a few, with connecting on an emotional level, sharing some kind of engaged emotion. We, and those of us who study this, we call this immediacy. It's called warmth. How do I connect with somebody? So we remember those connections, right? The famous quote, I, I might not remember what you say, but I remember how you made me feel. Really important if you want to stand out. Now, I'm not saying be schmaltzy and over the top and dramatic, but there are ways that you can tell stories in your answers to questions. Or if you're pitching, paint a picture that connects with people. Don't just give data and bullet points. So one way of, of getting to what you're, you're asking about is through emotion and through storytelling. Mm -hmm. Really, really important. Another way is through concrete detail, being very specific. Our brains are designed to remember detail. So if I can give detail in the stories I tell or the information I give. Now, you can, you can take this to an extreme and give too much detail. But thinking about that, many people in interviews, for example, or pitches stay very high level. And our brains aren't really good at the gist or high level uh, notion. So get specific. And when it comes to engagement, there are really three things to do. Physical engagement, get people physically involved, asking a question, having people type into the chat. Those are all really good ways to get people engaged and they'll focus more. There's mental engagement. Again, questioning can help get people thinking. Using analogies is a really powerful way. People will remember the analogies uh, that you use. Uh, and then finally, language, linguistic involvement. Using people's names is a great way to connect with people. Using what mm -hmm. I call time traveling language. If I can put you into the future, imagine, what if, picture this. Those are all phrases that get you seeing things in your mind's eye. I transport you into the future. I can also take you into the past. Remember when, think back to when. That language brings you back to that point. And again, it's activating more brain systems. And the more brain systems you activate, the more memorable you will likely be. So it's all about emotion and storytelling. It's about being concrete and specific and using physical, mental, and linguistic engagement. Do any examples come to mind for you, Matt, when folks have really stood out in their communications to you? The thing that I think is most critical and the things that impress me are when people can bring me into the conversation, when they pull me in. Mm -hmm. So when they ask me to imagine or they give me some direct uh, input or feedback uh, that really makes me part of the conversation or they paint yeah. a picture that I really see, those are, are really, really powerful. You know, I was very, now this has been several years and unfortunately we've had some repetition of this. But um, in Florida with the Parkland shootings at the high school, I was so impressed, so impressed by those students who, who became politically active to try to stop those horrific tragedies from happening. And if you look at what they did, it was just so authentic. It was so connected. It was so uh, emotional. Uh, they did, and they were all uncoached, untrained. You know, they did, uh, it was a master class in how to yeah. really engage and connect with people in a way that, that blew me away. I was absolutely yeah. floored by what I saw there. And, and those elements are in lots of the communications that impressed me. Yeah. Speaking from the heart, right? Mm -hmm. Where it feels like you're really getting to hear from the raw human mm -hmm. and we're all human and we can all connect with each other's stories. So right. just being really authentic to your story. Wonderful, Matt. So I want you to remember mm -hmm. back to your podcast, you ask your guests three questions yeah, that I'd me. love to ask you. I've been dying to know what your answers to these questions are. All right. Are. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> 
Amazing. So you typically ask for this to be summarized in a five to seven word slide presentation title, but I'm not going to do that to you here. What's the best communication advice you've received? This advice came from my mother. It happens to be seven words long, so I actually fit my own criteria. (laughs) Uh, I know she didn't create it, but uh, the advice is simple. Tell the time, don't build the clock. Many of us, myself included, can be clock builders. You've heard in some of my answers to you, I I went on longer than I probably should have. We need to be concise. We need to be clear. And Mm -hmm. telling the time instead of building the clock is a great way to remember that. So that mantra helps me as I prepare my lectures, as I prepare my keynotes, as I write. Um, And it's something I'm still working on. But concision, precision in our communication really matters in a marketplace of lots of information. There's lots of noise. There's lots of information. Be clear and concise. Totally. I wonder whether that comes from a bit of self-doubt in oneself of, oh, I'm not sure if this really straightforward answer will suffice for you. So let me add a few more things to it. Whereas that actually tends to detract and dilute your answer. So love that. Just tell the time. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think it's that we're doubting. And I think for many of us, especially when it comes to answers, we're discovering our content as we're saying it. And so we're, we keep mm-hmm. going and, and that, that leads right. us to say more than we need to. Totally. And then a communicator that you admire, Matt, besides your mom. <laughs> yeah, actually, my, my father is the better communicator than I'll my mother. But my mother just has these great sayings. They're both good communicators. My mother was a teacher <laughs> for decades. Uh, but my dad is really the, the oratorical expert in, in the family. Um, there are lots of people I admire. There is a speaker. Her name is Brit- Brittany Packnett. She talks a lot okay. about confidence, not just confidence in speaking, but just being confident in general. She has a wonderful TED Talk and, and other things. And I came across her because obviously I am somebody who's interested in confidence around communication. And she just has a, an engaging style. It's very warm, but she's able to, to challenge people. And, and her advice and ideas are great. So I, I, I love listening to Brittany. Young, young, powerful woman uh, doing good mm-hmm. work. So uh, I, I, I enjoy her communication very much. Lovely. We'll have to check her out. Yes. And then Matt, the first three ingredients for you in any successful communication strategy are? It's not going to surprise you. It's all about the <laughs> audience. It's all about having okay. a goal. And it's all about having a structure that you can deliver confidently. Those are the three fundamental ingredients, I believe. And the nice thing is, you know, uh, being a podcast host who's been doing this for uh, many years now, when I ask that question of my guests, by and large, those are the answers that I get. It's about audience. It's about structure. It's about being focused. Um, If you were to, to do a word cloud or some kind of technical analysis of the answers to those questions, that would essentially be what people are saying. Makes sense. And I like that it starts with the audience again. Mm-hmm. All right, Matt, if you'll let me, I'd love to ask you questions now that I get to ask each of our guests. Sure, and please. Be a I bit love more it. Personal, get to know you a bit better. So you started with an undergrad in psychology and then transitioned into the communications world. What's the biggest challenge you've had to overcome and how did you do it? Okay. Yeah. So I can very easily get in my head and be very worried about f- the future. To me, it's about mm. being present. I've, I've been working on this for, for many, many years, and I've made some progress, but I have a long way to go. As you alluded to, I've been doing martial arts for, for decades, and uh-huh. the martial arts are a great way to work on being present-oriented because you get immediate feedback when you are not present-oriented, and that feedback can, can hurt you psychologically, but it can hurt you physically too. So uh, the biggest challenge that I've had and the biggest setbacks in my life have been 
around not being present, about being too much in my head and worried about consequences or, or options and roads not taken. And I have found that when I let some of that go and adopt, you know, from, from improv, which is something I, I lean on a lot, although I'm not very good at it, uh, the yes and mentality, the, the do what's needed mentality, uh, my life has gotten better. So that's been a big challenge for me. Yeah, we just recently listened to Andrew Huberman's podcast yeah. on meditation, and yeah. he was talking about introspective versus extra, extros, ex, how do you say this word? Ex Extrospective, <laughs> maybe. I haven't heard Thank his, I, I, I'm a big fan <laughs> of Andrew, and I, I was very honored that he was on my podcast. Um, but yes, being, being internal <laughs> focused or external focused, for sure. Right. And getting out of your head and how helpful that is. Yeah. And this is something I'm like, everyone can relate to. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and it's all a work in progress. And like I said earlier, for me as well, it's about movement and like letting go of all these consequences and being easier on ourselves, which you mentioned also setting the bar a little lower mm -hmm. and also just being more open to other outcomes. Like there are many more possibilities that we're not necessarily allowing ourselves to consider. And 100% right. Being more open to them. Lovely. And then on the flip side, Matt, what do you feel has contributed to your success? What are qualities or experiences you've had that are helpful to share? A continual thirst for knowledge and appreciating that I don't know it, know nearly as much as is available. I believe if I have had any success, it is based on my curiosity, my willingness mm -hmm. to ask. And I always try to say yes to opportunity at first. Uh, I think those are the key ingredients if I've had any success is, is really knowing I don't know everything and wanting to learn more and being curious and having the confidence to ask and to demonstrate I don't know what I don't know. Uh, very, very important in my life. And I encourage my children, I encourage the people I teach and mentor to, to op be open to the possibility of what could be and be curious about it. Stay curious, stay learning. I also love how folks who know more tend to be more humble and tend to feel like they know even less. Yes. And it's such a beautiful thing, lifelong learning. My parents mm -hmm. always told me that no one can take your education from you. Right. And that's the most important thing you can invest in yourself is just learning. And what a beautiful thing in life. We're constantly learning, even from our, your children, from my yeah. nieces. So thanks for sharing that. Matt, this was lovely. I love, love, love having you on. Thanks for making the time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. What you're doing is great. I love your podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.